Good afternoon. What's going on, guys? How's everybody doing? It's two o'clock Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday, February 1st. So the month of February begins. This is uh, a time that I was looking forward to. I think that, you know, between now and March, um, that we should see a decent amount of relief. Um, we'll get into, you know, why, obviously, not just because February is my second favorite of the year, uh, second favorite month of the year. Um, but yeah, we'll start in a second. I'll give you guys a, a moment to, to join and get settled. Uh, last week we've dealt with, I've been doing these consistently the last, um, few Fridays, but I mentioned last week that uh, I would do one early in the week. So here we are. And I'll do another one on Friday as well as like a um, post-weekly wrap up. All right. We have a handful of people in here. Give it another minute. I'm going to go through all the uh, formalities. Um, <clears throat> so I've been using Colin now. I guess it's been like a month and a half, two months now. Um, I really like it. They are... Uh, they're doing a great job of, you know, getting the product out there. Um, it will be available to uh, Android users, uh, I think, in the very near future. Um, one of the uh, team members relayed that information to me this morning. So that's good. Um, be available online as well. So for anyone who misses the, you know, misses the episodes, you could go back and, and there's an archive of them. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I, preferred using this to using something like Twitter spaces because um, this is, you know, something that that stays up. It's reported. So for those of you that miss one or, you know, are a little bit late, you know, you have the opportunity to to go back and listen. You know, I do think that there is a bit of decay, obviously, um, especially when you're talking about the market. You know, this day and age, things change on a dime. So, you know, I don't know how useful something is that we talked about two weeks ago. Uh, a lot obviously transpired since then. Same thing can be said for what happened, you know, this Friday, um, or rather just my post this Friday, my my call in session this past Friday. Um, you know, this market moves quickly, so it's always changing. It's fast moving market. Uh, this period in markets as a whole is you know volatile one. So, you know, it's good that they're recorded, but I would suggest staying current and showing up whenever uh, I actually go live. So. Anyway, for those of you that are um, just joining right now, uh, as you see, this one is titled Crypto Market Finding a Bottom, and it's phrased as a question. Um, I think that, uh, you know, if you've been following my post the last week, and I think a lot of you have it figured out already that, you know, I my, primarily my trading is the lower time frames intraday, but I do provide some type of hint as to what my you know, I provide some higher time from color, you know, what I think the general bias will be. But I take positions counter trend all the time. So, you know, four or five days ago, I mentioned that it looked like, uh, you know, the S&P might be bottoming. Bitcoin might be bottoming. Uh, and the entire way up, I've been taking longs, taking shorts. I think um, I've actually taken uh, three to one long shorts. So, you know, I play both sides of, you know, both sides of the ball. Um, 
And it just right now happens to be a really good time to do that. There's plenty of volatility. Uh, the setups are there. The opportunities are there. You know, not necessarily technical setups, but the opportunities to play both sides are there. Um, you have a lot of people that are <clears throat> antsy, um, getting in poor positioning. You know, these these opportunities are quite ripe and exploitable. So, you know, I I do you know have some type of overall bias, but at the end of the day, I mean, that just really involves whether or not I'm going to be exposed to spot, um, you know, largely exposed to spot or minimally exposed to spot or just completely flat. But again, 90% of my trading is uh, is looking at a chart that's, you know, a half hour to to one minute chart, right? If we're talking about time-based charts and, you know, as I go down to the low time frames, I don't even look at a time-based chart. I'd much rather prefer to look at something like a, you know, volatility-based periodicity, a range-based periodicity, something that shows actual activity because the time-based chart, you get down to low time frames, especially during periods where volatility is completely crushed, compressed, and there's not really much going on. Uh, you're going to print candles and you're going to print market structure where really nothing took place. You know, you've seen this probably plenty of times, you know, you look at a lower time frame chart for like an alt that's not traded and there's just a bunch of bars that are, there's no, there's no high low. It's just completely flat, like little ticks along the chart. And if you get 60 of those, it prints an hour with a candle, right? Doesn't mean that anything had to take place. Um, so anyway, uh, this show, this channel is titled the uh, Cantor and Clark Crypto Trading Lounge. Um, and yeah, today we're going to talk about BTC. We'll talk about um, some alts if you're interested. Uh, we'll provide a little bit of color as to what's taking place in general markets. I don't like to extend too far because I'm not a macro trader and there's plenty of people that like to act like they are, but um, that's not my forte. It's not my area of competence. I think anyone who's been following long enough knows it. I like to stay within, uh, I like to stay within my ballgame, right? So before we get started, just as a reminder, you know, none of this is financial advice. This is just strictly, you know, how I look at the market through my lens, you know, how I'm trading, you know, my opinions, that's it. You know, I don't want you to go, you know, do what Michael Saylor did, which was go online and say, you should mortgage your house and who knows, sell everything and buy more Bitcoin. Um, kind of reckless. Uh, and I'm actually, you know, I get, uh, I have a lot of followers now and I've grown my following quite substantially in the last, um, last few months. And, you know, what that means is like, I get a lot of feedback uh, across the board, positive and negative, um, something that's not normal. I don't think that it's normal to have a lot of people constantly exposed to what you're saying. Um, this is something that's obviously new. Uh, <clears throat> you know, there is, uh, there's a Dunbar limit with how people can organize and form groups and things can be cohesive and, and work. And I think when you go past that in the you know, 100,000 realm, um, and you're trying to be part of a community that's thousands of people. It's just, I don't know, it just gets very messy. And I get a lot of people that tell me war stories and, you know, tell me how well they're doing and the opposite side, tell me how poor they're doing. You know, I mortgaged my house, you know, at the top, but, you know, it's, there's a lot of misinformation, um, that is, that is, you know, ripe for the taking online. It's difficult to find a, a good source to, you know, maybe learn from or, um, you know, to I don't want to say ride off of, but you know, concept I I could see further when I stand on the shoulders of giants. There is something to be said for that. There's a lot of great people that are available on Twitter that you can learn from, but at the same time, it's it's very noisy. Um, so again, none of this. I don't want you to take anything I say on here and and go you know smash the the long button or the short button because chances are if I share my 
if I, you know, this is why I think I have to be more specific with how, how I tweet, because I should say things along the lines, you know, this is going to be likely a very short term trade because I could, I don't think I'm clear enough when I'm sort of providing like loose macro color because Twitter for me is just like, it's like my porch. I just go out there, I yell out into the void. You know, it's a way to like blow off steam, um, ship posting, but I don't want it to get too disorganized to where it's not serious at all. Um, because I do know that people sort of look to me as, you know, maybe a, a role model or someone that they aspire to be like, um, I don't know why, but, um, you know, I think I should be more specific because the thing is, I will take positions and I will completely have taken opposing positions, you know, numerous times before, you know, the end of the day, many times. So anyway, um, none of this financial advice. This is all for entertainment purposes only. You know how it goes. Uh, all right. So I'm just going to talk about things briefly and then I'll open it up because I want this to be, you know, sort of an open venue for you guys to ask questions and there's no... There's no rules besides no politics and no religion. So anyway, obviously markets are up today. Um, the S&P bouncing nicely today, breaking out of the multi-day range. You know, ETH is up 3%, BTC up, um, you know, significantly uh, in the last couple of days. You know, nothing major. You know, the S&P is up 7% off the lows. Still, you know, we had a 13%, 12 to 13% drop uh, off of the highs. So, you know, vertical drop down, sort of straight shot down. Um, straight bounce up short amount of time uh this is like this is it you know i mentioned yesterday i said i hate how you know sort of these like macro pundits and and trad guys they'll you know pull out the statistics like oh this is the best close we've ever had for the month of january since 1987 and it's like okay that's a completely arbitrary like useless measure for us all right um, you know, it was a bad month. And then just because we close out the last two days, you know, positively, that's supposed to be meaningful. No, if anything, you know, markets move down a lot. They're going to bounce significantly as well. Um, any kind of bottom that's going to form, I think, is not going to just be sort of a V-shaped reversal. Could be wrong. Right. But I don't think we've had sort of the intensity to the downside that you would expect for, uh, you know, one off V-shaped reversal north. And, and considering we still are we're not in the month of March yet, we haven't had our first rate hike yet. Obviously, market is doing a you know doing a, a job to try to price that in you know you can imagine a certain amount of those 25 basis points are already priced in right are we at 15 basis points are we at 20 basis points price in of 25 right for the first month um you know maybe their left hook is that they raise at 50 basis points you know, there's a lot of conjecture obviously but either way markets have bounced because they moved down significantly a few things to focus on though you know we lost a 20 day uh in the s p so 20, excuse me, 200 days. So uh, a significant moving average. This is a significant moving average for more of like your trend followers. Um, and I'm not just talking about like retail trend followers, I'm talking about actual, you know, meaningful size and legacy um, value buyers. As I mentioned, we were in that sort of vicinity um, CTA. So commodity, uh, commodity trading advisors, which are basically trend followers. And a lot of the trend following approaches, uh, while they were more significant uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s, um, a lot of those approaches can be reduced down to just some basic moving average uh, methodologies. And the 200-day moving average, you know, closed back above it, it's sort of just a emotionless systematic signal for a lot of those participants to get long again. And CTAs, commodity, you know, CTAs, trend followers, um, CTAs more specifically for being formal, um, while predominantly for commodities originally, you know, obviously trading equity indices, 
um, trading some individual names that clearly make up a substantial portion of equity indices. Those flows are very significant. So, you know, a close, we had multiple closes below. Uh, we haven't had multiple closes below um, in a long time. You know, we had multiple closes below, uh, you know, over a decade ago that completely recovered very quickly. Um, you know, the more recent closes below didn't have the same level of success. So this was kind of like, oh, my God, you know, last time we closed below the 200 day was, you know, February, you know, 2020. And this must mean that we're going to, you know, dead cat continue much lower from here. Either way, for any kind of systematic trend follower, there's no like, oh, maybe kind of thinking it's OK, we close below out. OK, we close back above back in. Um, so very systematic. Um, no, again, no, no real discretion on that on part of that. And if you can imagine, you know, you might have some more weight towards the long side period if you period if you were going to add a bit of discretion because, again, there are some metrics that are worth paying attention to in terms of you know overall anticipation of further downside from markets, um, whether we're talking about options positioning, uh, put call skew. Um, you know, the markets they they were very sour for the last month. Uh, so. As you can imagine, that sourness is really a reflection of overall positioning. So maybe this is, you know, like I said, it looks like we are forming some type of low. I don't know if it means we're going to an all-time high right away, but like I said, um, this is a good balance. It's worth uh, worth taking seriously. So the S&P is obviously worth talking about because the S&P is correlated to B or BTC is highly correlated to the S&P right now. It's, I think it's like a 0 0.4 or 0 0.5. Um, so it is. It is doing all the, the leading. Um, and that correlation has been stronger and stronger for the last two years, uh, being almost, you know, it seems like it's almost a one for one relationship as of the last few months. So I think the point is like everyone is really excited right now. And, and if you look at the S&P and I, I hate to make this too much about the S&P, but hey, it is again, it's it is the thing that is more or less um, responsible for the majority of the movement we've seen in BTC lately. And we know that, you know, any kind of after a significant drawdown in, in BTC, uh, you know, the, the rest of the market is sort of on its toes um, or more or less on its heels. Right. Uh, so if, if we're looking at anything that would cause BTC to drop more, we would expect that that sort of would ripple its way through the alt market as well. Um, I don't care what anyone wants to say about, you know, we're at the point of dispersion where, you know, we completely outperform. Yeah, we see that alts in general outperform Bitcoin, uh, but they underperform to the downside. There were a short period of time, I think November and December, where there was uh, less downside capture. But really, that's you're you're picking at that point, right? The, the, this is going to become more of a picker's market. So you know, during a certain rotation, of course, just happened to be perfectly timed for you know the phone rotation where you know FTM, Near, Harmony. Uh, for a while, it was like Solana, Luna, AVAX. These things did outperform, right? Because they were sort of the flavor of the month. Um, but all in all, speaking for the majority, things are going to underperform when Bitcoin underperforms the S&P. It's just higher beta relationship. Um, so I think the most important level, though, for, for me, you know, and this is we're, I haven't changed this at all since the last couple of streams. You know, for the S&P, it has been reclaiming uh, 45 the 200 day is not enough on its own for me, right? So 200 day, we chop around, but if we're back above 45, you know, which is a pivot going all the way back to December, you know, I think that uh, that is the next significant area on the chart from a structural standpoint, from a contextual standpoint, where you would say, you know, this is the logically the most significant resistance 
if we're finding support above 45, you know, it, all this was was just another case of what it always has been for the S&P, which is, you know, just a handicap ramp upward over time with multiple periods of, you know, these shakeouts where Zero Hedge writes a bunch of articles about how this is the one. Okay. Um, there's a quote from Warren Buffett, actually. Uh, I have, I think I have it in my phone close enough. Um, and, and the S&P is, you know, it's obviously, it is like the happiness index, right? Um, but Warren Buffett said, he said, for 240 years, it's been a terrible mistake to bet against America. And now is no time to start. America is a golden goose of commerce and innovation will continue to lay more and larger eggs. Uh, so I like to just apply this. Basically, the history of the S&P has been this just gradual ramp upward. Many periods where it seemed like it was over. But the general story, the larger sample is one of survival. Um, and this is because this is, this is a survivorship index, right? So it's no secret why the S&P is... Uh, more positively skewed than anything, it's because if you are a company that's dead, you're going to find your way out of it, right? If you're a company that's performing exceptionally well, you know, you're going to find your way to the top of it and you're going to be like the Apple, the Microsoft, the Tesla, you know, it's Apple, Microsoft, I think Tesla's number four, but, you know, Apple is basically the index. So there's danger to that because Apple's like six to 7% of the index. You see a decline in Apple, you see a decline in the S&P, you see a decline in BTC. Um, so 45 is I think the most significant level. And it brings us to the same, basically same thing in with Bitcoin right now. You know, we're at higher time frame. You know, it's more of a loose area. So it's not a tight shoreline with Bitcoin. It's a looser shoreline. Um, so what we're looking at is sort of a gap between, you know, 39-ish up to 41. So like 40K, you know, 40K handle is like the sweet spot. Uh, this is an area where when the market comes back to wasn't much was transacted there before market moved through very quickly, no two way trade. Um, so you could call this an area that wasn't really, you know, accepting of prices or rather it accepted them rather quickly and we found value much lower. Uh, but if we were to accept back above 40, you know, that's a that's a different story. So we're we're running into our local area of resistance for BTC. The S&P is running into its local area of resistance. Um, and this is. You know, this is an area that is not really good for a risk reward standpoint, just from a contextual risk reward standpoint for laws. Um, <clears throat> you know, again, sort of operating under the premise that uh, the bottom isn't going to just be a reversal. Um, and it would take some more sideways activity before we eventually break up. But if we're if we're above 40, right, if we're finding our footing above 40, if we're into that pocket, then I think we're just move up to the highs of around 43, 44. Uh, but so far, we're rejecting off of this area. And this is an area where the market, if you just focus on Twitter as an example, getting very excited. I mentioned it this morning, the concept of a cheer hedge. This is in um, this is in Donnelly's book, Alpha Trader. You know, when everyone's cheering on the positions, when you see people coming out that have been like, oh, this is clearly, you know, shorts are screwed, bears are fucked kind of thing. Uh, usually people aren't willing to be vocal until like they're at the maximum point of return uh, or at a certain point. You know, market's like 15 percent off the lows already. Um, so the truth is that there's a substantial move that already occurred behind us. Um, so, you know, it's when they start to get confident enough to be really vocal about it, it's usually a bad sign. And if anything, it's just a sign that the side is getting a little bit more congested um, and the market is um, you know, market's getting a little long at this level. You're seeing some, you know, choppy behavior because of that. You're seeing, you know, Bybit get a bit more aggressive towards the highs. You're seeing derivatives get a little bit hotter towards the highs. The overall story, though, which is positive, is that, you know, overall, this period of sideways slight grind upward 
um, has the best sort of positioning we would want to see uh, from a you know futures to spot standpoint. So ideally, it would be more extreme, you know, price grinding sideways or grinding upward on you know very negative funding. Um, but we have you know neutral to predominantly negative funding overall for these lows, which is good. The thing is, it doesn't necessarily need to mean that people are shorting. It could just mean that you know conditions on uh, perp exchanges are thinner and you know, market makers aren't keeping it as tight, uh, and you're seeing that it's just harder to keep the index in line with that uh, with that instrument. Um, but if you have, you know, prices rising in the face of consistent, uh, you know, negative basis in this case, if you have it in the face of, you know, um, you have downward price action on low timeframes as it's moving up, occurring with, you know, an increase in open interest, you could start to build a more substantial case for, um, shorts getting offside, you know, people fading this move a bit more aggressively. And it's usually the aggressors that are going to be on the wrong side of the ball, right? Because, you know, typically on the other side of your aggressor is someone who is going to be delta neutral, is going to be a market maker, is going to, someone who's going to be able to offload risk right away. Um, so we're starting to see that towards the high right now. I, I didn't think that this is going to be a one-off shot into, you know, the next level either way. Um, this would be the next, this would be the logic area to see price fade off of and maybe come back further down you know, maybe retest 36, 35, even lower. Uh, it, it doesn't, it wouldn't be out of the ordinary if it took much longer. So I think that that's a really important thing to focus on is that, you know, we're not that far into, um, we're not that far into this period since we're 50% up the highs. You know, if this is going to be the low, um, absent a catalyst, a catalyst, it's almost sound like a Cadillac, absent a catalyst or any kind of major offside positioning, you know, we don't have drastic signs of it like we did after, you know, the May through July buildup. Um, absent that, it's just difficult to make a case for this just mooning from here. It, it's more likely that what, even if we broke up, that we break back down a little bit more, move sideways, build a range. I think I said a couple of weeks back, like, eh, we're probably going to build a range between 41 and, you know, low 30s for a little while. That'd be the best thing to see. If you build some type of structure sideways, have that increase in open interest, see that negative basis persist, right? You know, sellers are throwing all they have at it. Spot selling is kind of tapering off. Uh, and then a breakout of that range is a really reasonable trigger because that range is an area where a ton of risk was, you know, tagged onto the market. You know, right now there's a few things to focus on on a low time frame. you know, from the lows, something that I like to look at when we make a significant low or have a significant breakdown, um, anchor VWAP from that level. Right, just an idea of where sort of like the trailing average risk level is for the market. As you can imagine, like people turn over positions very quickly in this market. So sometimes people put on like longer term VWAPs and act like some person is still in position that's reflected in that VWAP and they're going to make a decision if we change it, you know, if we break below it. Uh, it's usually going to be in that case, if the market is focusing on the same thing, people are going to change their positioning because of that just being considered a good technical level. Uh, but as far as like actual position changing, we know that people are not holding positions that long in this market. So a local anchor VWAP, though, I think would be useful. Like, for example, anchor VWAP off of the lows is right around 37. You know, for breaking below 37, the last two weeks we're holding the high of distributions. Um, so this week obviously just started, but we uh, we were in a poor position at the end of January, the last day, right? um two days ago uh well you know a day ago actually uh when we were trading below the point of control for that weekly uh weekly tpl weekly profile just the idea that uh we were trading below where most of the activity took place 
right? If you just imagine one for one activity, if you're trading below where all the activity took place, you know, you're probably looking at punishing longs. If your open interest hasn't changed, they're probably not punished yet. They're probably hanging on still for dear life. Uh, but right now, the anchored VWAP is actually around 37. So we have some distance from there. Um, we're above all of the significant levels on the weekly distribution. So that's good just from a structural standpoint. So I guess the idea is longs are comfortable right now. <clears throat> if we were to trade below 37, you know, if you just look at market structure, uh, you're starting to, you're, you're putting yourself in more of a position where anyone who is short is clearly in better positioning than a long for the last three weeks. Uh, again, a lot of turnover. So it's not like, oh, everyone's in position and now we're, you know, everyone's off sides or everyone's on sides. That's obviously a lot more dynamic than that. Uh, so it doesn't look bad right now. It just, it's a lot of it still hinges on the S&P. Uh, Bitcoin dominance, you know, we saw that going up recently. Um, you know, we've seen that alts have been sort of just slaughtered across the board. One thing that I did mention, I don't want to, and I think it's really important to start thinking like this at some point, right? You know, of course, alts historically have dropped 80, 90%. Uh, so, you know, you get a significant drop in BTC. It's not the same if you get a significant drop in alts. You know, you get a 50% drawdown in BTC. If you get a 25% drawdown in BTC, you should start thinking some type of um, reversion to the mean at some point. 50%, absolutely. You have a lot of reasoning at that point to start looking for the signs of some type of structural bottom, at least in the short term. With alts, you know, you might be sidelined. You might get out. Oh, 50% drawdown now. Get back in. Price could still drop another 90% from there with alts, right? Um, so that has been the case in the past. I do think that that is what a majority of the alts will do, you know, sort of like the Pareto distribution, right? We'll see that, you know, 20% of the alts will continue to, you know, post great returns. 80% will just complete, do, you know, be complete garbage. Um, that being said, you know, I, I think it's, it's important to consistently start checking bias right now if you're still looking for short shorts and alts that are beyond you know the low time frame so i'm doing a lot of scalping with alts but i would not be able to put on a position like i was able to a couple weeks ago where or just a week and a half ago um where i was short and alt and i'd be willing to like step away from it you know not monitor it now i'd just be sort of on the low time frames because again they're very thin uh, you might have a stop. It's very easy to slip though once that stop gets blasted through a short squeeze. Um, and, you know, strong names like Solana, that might be overdone for now. Uh, oversold territory, at least on the daily, I think, just doesn't mean it re-reversals, right? It doesn't mean we see a V-reversal, but it does mean like at some point you're going to have relief bounces along the way, right? They don't take a straight, they don't take a, a vertical trip down. If they've been strong the entire way, it's a very different I mean, it's very unlikely that they would. Things like Luna too. You know, I feel like the Luna FUD was overdone. Um, so Solana, Luna, I wanna be looking at things like AVAX. I wanna continuously look at FTM, Near. Um, the pairs that have been strong for the last few months, uh, because, you know, the chances are that if we see more relief in BTC, that these are gonna catch, you know, a, a more significant bid as well. Um, so that's something that I think is important to do, constantly sort of refresh your bias, right? Take temperature of the market every day instead of just being like, gosh, you know, alter the easiest short in the world. Uh, I don't think that, I don't think you get away in, you know, moving forward, I don't think you get away. Um, maybe it, as you might have been able to get away with that in the past. Um, aside from that, I mean, not much. Michael Saylor bought more BTC. He bought like 25 million, so not that significant. Um, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's not. 
we have you know some more talk about the unhosted crypto wallet rule um some more regulatory talk that's always fun uh we obviously have you know we have a cpi print coming in nine days um so that's you know all these things are suddenly a lot more relevant than they ever were in the past and for those of you that are thinking like oh man we have a lot of these right now we'll know if bitcoin's going to remain correlated to global macro then this is just what it what it's like to trade the s p it's like every other you know every two weeks there's something to focus on uh, and i don't think you really ever had to do that in bitcoin and crypto the way that you have to do it when you're trading legacy you don't have to but you should definitely be way more aware um, any trader who's trading legacy, right? So, you know, when I'm trading uh, equity index futures, one screen is just going to be the newsfeed, right? Uh, with crypto, you didn't really have to worry about that. Now it's becoming more popular. You're seeing, you know, there's names that are being made for them. You know, you have people specifically like tier 10, uh, tier 10K, you know, DB, um, who's outperforms Walter Bloomberg for breaking news. It's becoming a lot more significant. There's some really great plays that you could take around the news. Um, News trading is a completely different animal, so I wouldn't try to just wing it. But uh, yeah, I want to open it up, give you guys a chance to ask questions, hop on. That's the purpose of these. I talked for like a half hour, so ideally the next half hour will be all yours. So anyone who wants to hop on, just press the call in. And I, I think there's a little bit of a lag, so give it a second. For those of you that, uh, you know, a lot of people have actually been messaging me about this recently. So there's a book I shared a while back. It's called Alpha Trader by Brent Donnelly. Uh, Brent Donnelly was a tra FX trader, um, hedge fund trader, traded at Lehman. Um, he writes an awesome newsletter, uh, so it's totally BS that when people say, like, oh, you can't write newsletters and be a profitable trader, you know, at some point, you're going to get tired of trading, hopefully, uh, and you're probably going to look for more relaxing um, forms of income, trust me. Uh, you know, Brent has been doing it for a long time. Alpha Trader is probably, it's called Alpha Trader, the Mindset Methodology and Mathematics of Professional Trading. There's a lot of, like, hooky trading books out there. It's just like anything, right? There's always going to be a lot more garbage than there actually, you know, there's always going to be a lot more signal than there is noise. Excuse me, the opposite. A lot more noise than there is signal. Um, but uh, Alpha Trader is probably one of the best trading books that I've ever read. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people talk about the, you know, Market Wizards, uh, Jack Swagger's Market Wizards, you know, um, Reminiscence of a Stock Operator, all these like, you know, very popular, uh, very popular pieces of literature, but I don't think any of them do it like Alpha Trader. And this is not, I'm not paid to say this. It's just, it's like the Swiss Army knife for trading. All right. So if you guys want to hop on, please do. Because otherwise, I mean, that's the purpose of these. It's not just for me to <laughs> extol my beliefs and, and drown on. I'm going to be doing more live streams. Uh, so that's what those are for. All right, what's going on, crypto? Let me get you on here. Crypto Aussie. Can you hear me? Hey, what's going on? Thanks for 
for joining. Yeah. Can you hey, Ryan. Yeah. Thank, thanks for um, thanks for answering. Uh, I've been listening to you. Um, you know, the last couple of weeks. Um, thankful for finding you, and I, I think you um, recommended banks as well. Um, I I only really got into the market uh, last uh, April. Didn't really know much about the the market. Didn't realize I'd kind of essentially got in at the top of the bull run. Uh, it was <laughs> April, but <laughs> then it dropped. And uh, you know, I I, I think I've we, we've briefly chatted in text before. Um, I come from a corporate and consulting background, uh, but I got very um, roped into the this sort of um, bullish ultra moon boy mentality for several months and you know everything was going up 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 it went down for the summer correction then it came up um but i also you know during that time started to think like you know this is all too easy this feels like a giant bubble that's going to burst um so this correction in a way i mean i got um, i i would have called myself an investor doing some swing trades and then i got out uh mostly in the mid 50s so after the initial drop um and that's just because i listened to people like yourself um fantoshi and just a couple of others and i got rid of all the noise um i was going to ask you about the bottoming structure but you've you've kind of answered that uh because i you know i hear a lot of people saying we're going up but everything i've been listening to about bottoming structures says that we haven't really bottomed or at least we haven't formed uh, any sort of structure um Honestly, the, the thing that I'm kind of getting caught up on, because I'm with this market and everybody's saying it's probably going to be range bound, which is much more difficult. Um, so I've been sidelining for, for the most part of it. Um, do you have any advice for somebody who um, are kind of moving more and more into sort of uh, day trading? And that's kind of how I want to be in the future. Um, but I find myself because I'm a, an, an overthinker and I analyze everything, uh, which is good. It means I don't throw my money away and, and lose it. I also find myself almost getting writer's block, uh, trader's block, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> you, you put a post up earlier today. You know, sometimes you wake up and your your head feels like scrambled eggs. Um, I find that I, the evening before I go to bed, I write down notes and I, I look at a couple of potential setups for the following day, not knowing everything about the market, but I'm like, yeah, I've, I've got all this confidence. And that's when I'm writing on a notepad and that's, you know, I'm old school. So I find that kind of helps me. But then I, I get up, I do my thing. I sit in front of the, 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 the charts and I almost feel like I don't freeze up, but everything becomes overwhelming. You know, you've got, you know, I mostly use trading view. I've started to use trading light a little bit just to get an idea of what's happening in the order flow. But then you've, you know, you've literally got, all my potentials on the side divided into subcategories. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I feel like I get traders block and then suddenly all the thoughts I had of, yeah, let's just get into a few trades. Let's not bet everything. Let's instead of kind of going in big and thinking, okay, I'm going to put, you know, X percent, 5% uh, of my, you know, my, 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 stables into a trade I, I i say i'll do less i'm basically just trying to figure out like what advice have you received in the past in your earlier stages of being a trader that's just to get the fuck on with it excuse my french because yeah. I, it's, it's 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 almost like i i know when i open up that book as long as i do it right i've put the the right thinking behind it 
I've got a thesis, I've got a strategy, I've got a plan that I can start doing it. But it's 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 kind of like that. Just getting going. Is there anything that? Yeah, yeah. No, is, I, is it I, is it strategy? Is it the overwhelming side? I think I'm still because you know the guy that I had giving me some mentoring before this correction, I got rid of because he, you know, he was literally when we dropped for in the, you know, initially from 69 and it started going down, I was questioning and saying, maybe, maybe that's it. And he's like, no, 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 no. We're plan B, parabolic, fucking stop to flow. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sitting there going, yeah, I'd prefer to get into trading. I don't want to hold 10 or 20 um, assets, but I was holding them because all these people that I was listening to were saying, uh, that, yeah. you know, any second now, it's, you know, you've got rune and, and, and veracity. They're going to go uh. like uh, 10X. So, I didn't get screwed because I eventually started listening to myself. I did lose some. Now I don't own anything. I've got no interest in marrying my bags and being a hodler. Um, I want to be able to get into a flow. Uh, but I do find myself, he was, you know, there was some t tools that I used through him. And then I've used other tools in this correction because I feel like everything he taught me in trades was very much for up only market. Um, yeah. you know, break, breakout patterns and everything. And he was still saying to me all the way down, oh, this is a breakout. I'm like, yeah, but BTC looks like shit. It's going gonna, it's gonna <laughs> to puke, which means right. almost everything else, apart from, as you said, like the the phone, uh, one and, and um, near and, and phantom, which I, you know, I got a little bit of, uh, everything was. So I, I started learning kind of new skills and trying to just read the price action. Um, and I think now I'm in this place where I'm, super keen to get moving but i the minute i'm like okay let's go i get overwhelmed and then i'm i, I end up just walking off and taking my dog for a walk or something <laughs> right as yeah as yeah i definitely hear that and there's like definitely days where i have that even to this day right um yeah it definitely doesn't help to try to like approach your desk and wing it so uh, what you kind of alluded to earlier is actually something that's really important earlier on. You know, as you develop and get more proficient, you know, more style can come into it, more like nuance and leeway. And, you know, you don't have to worry about all the rules that you do in the beginning. And I think that one of the best things to do and what I'm getting at is actually write things down. Um, mm -hmm. So obviously you need some type of framework or system to build on. And if you're, if your plan is to trade lower timeframes, you know, you have to have a system that one gets you looking at the right assets that are worth trading at that time on any given day. So maybe you're, you know, what you're building off of is some kind of filter for volume, volatility, activity, right? So you're able to, you know, cause any given day, this market's so overwhelming now because it's not only trading you have taking place um, within, you know, uh, individual pairs on exchanges. Now you have people that are, you know, yield farming that are, you know, uh, trading NFTs. So all of these have completely branched out. You have to pick a style that you want to just stick to and master. So if it's trading, if it's day trading, fine. So you need to be able to obviously identify uh, every day where the money is going, right? What are the best assets to trade? So you have something initially to filter out, let's say three pairs to track. Right. And it doesn't have to be three. It could be five. I mean, it could be two. Um, I, I personally don't like to trade too many things at the same time. I like to trade maybe two to three things. And, and that's really it. Because at some point, like I just become messier when I'm like trying to spread myself out and capture, you know, 
uh, capture a bunch of, you know, what I maybe perceive as a bunch of different opportunities rather than focus on a few. So you have something that's able to filter the market down. Um, and then you need to have obviously some type of semi-mechanical approach uh, for why you get in position, how you define your trades, right? Your thesis to get involved. Uh, so that could be, you know, if it's, if you're a day trader, maybe that's using um, market structure, maybe it's using market profile, maybe it's using, you know, order flow, maybe it's using moving average. It, it, it could be based on anything, right? You could make a system um, that works from, from, from plenty of different approaches. Uh, but more importantly than, than having that, it's important that you write down, you know, after filtering the market down, um, after having somewhat of a repeatable approach, that you write down your plan for the day, right? If you don't write things down, like if you just walk to the computer um, and don't make a plan that you actually write down, thoughts are just, they're just abstract, right? They're not mm -hmm. crystallized. They're not, like when you actually write something down, it's proven that your brain sort of stores that differently than if you're just gonna say like, oh, I'm gonna remember this, right? It makes it real. It's, it's also like, it also makes like a personal social contract, contract when you write something down. So I think the most important thing in the beginning is to actually write down a plan. Um, you know, let's say, okay, I, I arrived to the charts in the morning, I scanned the market, you know, uh, Luna's moving, Solana's moving, BTC's moving. Okay, so I'm gonna populate my screens with only those charts. Mm -hmm. I'll have, for me, lower time frame trading, most of my activity is gonna be on just looking at a low time frame chart, but I'll have a high time frame chart and a profile just to have some context. Um, but, but after that, after I've marked off the areas where I wanna get involved, uh, I don't start looking at any other charts besides my low time frame chart because then it's easy to start like, oh, I see this on the 15 minute. Oh, I see this on the four hour. No, you want to stay very much in a frame. Um, writing things down after, though, I think, again, is the most important thing. So you filter out the assets and this is not specifically I'm not saying you have to do this, but you have an at, you know, filter, filtered list of assets you want to trade for the day. You mark off the areas where you want to get involved. And then you write down the areas and the criteria that will be the reason for why you're going to get involved. So now you have something that's that's solid to work off of. And if you the the point of this is you have some type of structural framework. And if you deviate from it, like you're the first to to know because you've made a you've made a you know you've you've written that down and you could see immediately like when you've got to get your plan. Like for example, just to make more sense of this, if I said. Um, if I wake up and I see and I'm looking at the chart and I say, okay, you know, we're within a three-day balance, you know, uh, value area high of this composites, 37, value area low is 36. Okay, my trades for the day are, you know, maybe I'm going to play rotations within balance. So I'm looking for such and such behavior at the highs, such and such behavior at the lows. I'm going to write down why I would get involved at the long side, let's say at 37, why I would get involved at the short side at 36. Uh, and then that's that. And then if I don't, if I get involved for any other reason, like if I'm just chasing it, um, if I'm, you know, FOMOing and it's not following my plan, like I have proof right away that I'm deviating and I'm, and I'm trying to wing it. Uh, and then the, the point of recording this all in the beginning also is so that at the end of your day, you could go through it and say like, okay, what did I do today? You know, what worked out for me? Um, where did I go wrong? Did I follow the plan strictly? And hopefully you do this enough in the beginning early on uh, to where it becomes routine and you don't have to, you know, I don't, I don't sit and write everything down every day. I make a, you know, I try to make 
some form of, I try to write some sort of notes for the day. Um, whether that's like a couple post-its, honestly, on my screen, just as a reminder for my levels or, you know, what signal I'm looking for, or what particular activity I'm looking for, just to keep that uh, visually local so that it's always being reinforced. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, again, most importantly, you have to, all this kind of gets back to the, the idea of having some type of system and systems are reported, right? So, you know, that sounded funny, but systems, if they're going to work, they're going to be based off the data and data is is recorded. So you have to have something that you could look back at and you have to have something that you could hopefully act on moving forward. And, you know, it's sort of like a rule book, right? It's a playbook. It's, mm -hmm. it's many different things, but I think you get the idea that it is, you know, I guess codified or it's, you know, it's, it's made permanent in some form. You're writing it down. You're telling yourself these are the reasons. Um, and then from there, obviously, you know, trading opens up tremendously but you have to build off of something like that. Otherwise, what you do is like you go to the screen, something's moving over here. Oh, that looks like a good long. Oh man, this is gonna break out. Like, oh, I saw this guy post this thing. You know, maybe this is gonna move. <laughs> oh, the news. No, you have to have a plan. Um, yeah. And after you've you know shown yourself that you're successful, you could start getting you know applying like style. Um, and I want to like say that it's like you know like when an athlete's really good, they have like a certain way that they you know, they're known for throwing the ball or taking a jump shot or, you know, doing things a little bit out of, you know, away from the textbook. You know, if you learn sure. how to shoot a basketball from a textbook, it's going to be very weird and very different than uh, if someone was going to show you after they've been, you know, a, uh, a basketball player for 20 years, how they shoot, right? They yep. have some more style that they impart. Um, but you can't, you don't really have the freedom to do that until you've gotten to a certain point within your trading, right? Where you know, like, oh, I could, uh, I could take a little bit more risk here, be, risk here because um, I do have this, you know, it's not really gut feel. It's, or it's more like intuition from past results that you've seen work out successfully. Um, but yeah, the beginning, most important thing is probably, and this goes, really, it's a journal, but um, a journal that, you know, you, you write in advance every day instead of just writing uh, after the fact. So you have a before, you have the morning, write out your plan. It doesn't have to be like a journal written for pages it doesn't have to be anything like that it could be post-its right but it, the point is you've made sort of a by writing it down you kind of made it real right you know if you put a post like i i honestly more often than not it's like a post-it for me like i said mm -hmm. you know i'll have post-its and there might not be anything on it besides a bunch of numbers on you know in a sharpie but i know like oh yeah okay like why would i do things differently now i'm i'm chasing because you know my level is 36.5 it's it's 36.3 now. Like, why am I feeling I want to get involved here? I already wrote down what reasons I want to get involved. Um, and if you don't if you don't have this, you know, you don't really have a repeatable system to some degree. If you don't have like a framework that you're acting around, and your best chance at having one is in the beginning, writing it down. So. Yeah, that that, that makes total sense. I, I think the biggest problem with crypto, especially when you know you're you're using uh, crypto Twitter as a platform for learning because there is a humongous amount of learning in there. It's also a place where you can vent and, you know, have a bit of a laugh during the day. But when you're following that and then you, you know, I come and I look at the charts and I've got trading view up and there's, you know, like 30 things on the side. It's, it's kind of like bunny rabbits flashing everywhere and running across the screen and you've got an idea and maybe you've even written it down, but then you're, I don't know, somebody says this and, yeah, so I, I think it very much is. Uh, I'm I'm in agreement that I just need to 
be stricter with myself. Um, Trading view shouldn't have the, you know, every asset that I'm potentially interested in over the last month or two. It should be, you know, each day I just say, okay, BDC, Solano, AVAX, cool. That's all I look at um, and just stay focused. Also, the the, the tools as well, I think, um, because I've watched different traders use different kind of methodologies. Um, and it's, uh, I think that's also been a problem because I've gone from sort of one methodology to another. And I don't want to say they're sort of infused now, which means, you know, I, I no longer have hard rules of, okay, now I enter, now I exit. Um, so yeah, no, all makes sense. And um, yeah. what was the, um, you mentioned a while back, is it, and I, I've seen it mentioned around a couple of people, um, I'm, I'd like to be able to use just one platform for the actual trading. Um, I know a lot of people like myself have multiple exchanges, um, but it, it's kind of annoying as well. And then there's times when, for example, in this type of market, when I'm trying to learn, I'm more interested in, you know, I'm risking less if I just get in and, and trade spot, but utilizing the same rules as using leverage. So using a stop loss and all this type of stuff. Um, that said, none of the exchanges themselves uh, facilitate stop loss if um, uh, if you're just trading spot. So I'm just, I've looked at a couple of um, third parties that you can then basically um, aggregate, you know, um, your, your exchanges into. But I haven't really kind of decided on, you know, if that's the right path. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a few. Um, and actually, before I, I mention this, what I'll do is if you uh, message me on Twitter, I'll, I'll give you this sheet that is like a bunch of different sheets that are very similar. Tom Dante created one. Um, uh, the the author uh, and trader Donnelly created one. Um, and I have one on my computer. And it's just like a sheet that is already kind of pre um, pre-built so that you could fill, you could print a bunch of them and then fill them out every day. And it'll say like the levels you want to look at today, the assets that you're looking at, and then, um, and then it'll have like a post day wrap up and you, and you'll fill this out every day. And it's basically, it's, it's a more structured version of my post-its. Um, but anyway, so the trading platforms, uh, I mean, there's a bunch, there's like, I feel like every other day there's a new one coming out that integrate with exchanges, but, um, there's no one that it integrates with all of them yet, which is a you know big, big pain. I th actually I think uh, I think Quant Tower might integrate with all of them. So Quant Towers is good. I had an issue with them months back that I would have never imagined I'd use them again, but it's kind of like they're the best viable option right now for what I need. Um, they connect to I think every exchange. So the benefit of Quant Tower is that like you could just use it. It has every chart you could want. It has um, all the things that you would have populate your window from an exchange. Like it has all your working orders. You could consolidate all of these. So you could have like um, a box of all your working orders across all the exchanges. You know, you could switch in and out of the assets quickly. You could link up the templates so that when you switch from one exchange, it populates all the windows with that exchange's chart, that exchange's DOM, you know, order template, all of that. Quant Tower is good. Again, I had an issue with them a long time ago, um, and I swore it was their fault, and I still to this day think it is, but I think that it's probably very unlikely that it happens again. Uh, and that's a danger with using a platform that's connected to the exchange through API is if something goes wrong, like you're, they're never going to compensate you. 
for anything that is a result of their their product. Yeah, right, right. So, um, I mean, I don't know if you've been following me for a long time, but my issue was I was trading through them and I don't use, I, I rarely use hotkeys um, and I always have it so that my hotkeys are disabled unless I'm using them. Um, and I was like standing away from my computer and I clicked with my mouse to mark it in for, uh, I don't remember the specific amount. It might've been, I don't remember the amount that I tried to market in the initial amount, but it ended up buying 13 million contracts of Bitcoin and my market orders, it wouldn't stop going through. So I tried to cancel the order. Um, it wouldn't cancel the order. I went to the exchange, I canceled it on the exchange and it kept coming through the platform. And this is funny because like at the time someone shared on Twitter, the screen of, are you familiar with agar template, the aggregated tape? No. Oh, so it's just a, it's a, it's a time and sales of all the big buys that take place in the market. And they were sharing it because they were like, who the hell is buying 13 million contracts on, on you know, Bybit right now? <laughs> and it was, it was, it was me by accident. So and you didn't that even was, really know. <laughs> and the way it happened to be was like, this is just, this, it could have been horrible. I was reaching over the corner of my desk, like, ah, I'm just going to tag on a little bit of a position here. And I was going to just turn and walk away and just go about my business. Uh, had I done that, like you can imagine, it would have gotten to the point where my account would have been maxed out and I would have been liquidated at the first move down. So that would have been a nightmare. That's the danger of using a platform, right? But I don't think that'll happen again. They they constantly are adjusting and, and you know, fixing bugs. There's Insilico Terminal, which is great. Um, that's got the best order execution. Right now, that's only hooking up to a couple exchanges. But there's a new platform coming out, I swear, every week because they're always reaching out to me. Hey, you want to check this out? And I say, oh, that sounds cool. Like, let me check it out. And then I go to look at it. And it's like, oh, it's every exchange besides the one I use. And and all of them are basically like, OK, we're we're in the plan of, you know, it's in our plans to integrate such and such exchange, you know, a month from now. So at some point, what you're going to see is there will be something that caters to every exchange. It's just mm -hmm. not there right now. And it does require you to do you know, a little bit of searching, it's a pain in the butt. And, and even then, exchanges don't have everything. So you have to, you'll end up using, you know, one platform for three exchanges and another platform for, you know, the other two you're on. Um, so that's the, you know, that's part of the drawback of having a market that's very fragmented, but it is what it is right now. It's still, still a young market. Gotcha. Okay, I think that's answered, I appreciate it. Um... And, and one last thing, in this market, when we're so low, um, I know that uh, I think the first call that you made, we were talking about a couple of um, low cap, or maybe it was actually when you were, uh, I think you did a stream, um, and we were talking about a few low caps. I've stayed away from everything, which is, it's difficult at the moment, because you look at some of these, I mean, I remember you were talking about Fuse, um, and they're so low right now, it's it's tempting to jump in and buy it. But then I also kind of think that if we were to drop lower, that they may just disappear. Yeah, you no know, way. I would never. Yeah, so, so just st I, stay clear of all the low cap stuff for now until yeah, the like, market's proving that I we're. Remember... Oh, sorry. You're, no, no, you're no, yeah, no. I mean, you you got what I'm trying to say. Basically, I I want to get into those low caps because they're so goddamn cheap at the moment. But if the market does you know, the entire S&P and everything decides to say, you know what, this is a bad economy where we're, we're fucking everybody this year. Those things will just vanish, I assume. Yeah. So the last uh, one of the last call-ins that I did where I talked about, it was either on a live stream or call-in. 
And I was like, hey, Fuse looks great. Everything's set up right now for this to do well. Um, I literally paper handed that and sold it probably like six hours later because yeah. I, I will not, there's just no way that I, so one of the reasons why certain people are able to hang on to alts is because they actually do the fundamental research and feel like they have like a, a fundamental value. So it's easier to sort of weather the storm. I don't. So I have like no ability to even trick myself into holding. So I end up selling things way too early often. But I feel like for me that, that that's fine because it's worked out. I've missed out on 20 X's because I, you know, I sell at five, but sure. I, I don't hold, but I never hold them through the drawdown period. So it's like, okay, I don't get to capture all the upside, but I'm not there for when things shit the bed. And but, with those, it's so easy for them to just continue to go, like, you could blow at them and they'll fall another 30%. So there's no yeah, way that I, yeah. I, I only get involved in, in really speculative all plays when, like, for example, just like, uh, just as, um, you know, certain, you know, I guess a little bit of criteria that I would start getting re-involved in would be if we are moving sideways with Bitcoin, if the 20 day is flattening out something like a 20 day moving average. And if we're reclaiming that and putting in market structure above 40 K, like if gotcha. it looks like we're able to even put in a higher, you know, a higher high um, or potentially a higher low, I think that, yeah, you'll see plenty of alt benefit, but until then, like it's, it's not my uh, cup of tea. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. That's, that's basically what I did last year. Um, jumped in on things that, you know, a lot of people got behind. Um, and I was in a couple of uh, sort of WhatsApp groups with people, which which helped. But so many people were this this whole mentality of, hodl, 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 it's the future, it's this. And I was kind of like, I'm here to make money. I'm not here to be part of a community. And I'm yeah. not gonna I'm not gonna hold my bag down. And you know, these same guys, I I had to leave their communities to get rid of the noise because they're they're still holding this stuff that is essentially you know low caps of some of them have you know gone 10x down. <laughs> yeah and i'm like yeah you can hold what you like me and i'll just uh yeah but yeah no yeah, i got it no cool cool <laughs> makes sense so when, when we've got structure again then just start looking at stuff like that but until then yeah. just stick to the um short-term day trading pretty much yeah absolutely cool thanks ryan appreciate it buddy thanks for calling in no worries what do i do all right ethan Can you hear me? Yeah, what's going on? Uh, yeah, appreciate you doing this. Um, kind of have two different topics that I kind of want to go over. Um, first one, I guess, would be like inside day setups. I know you've kind of touched on those previously. Uh, I guess, are you in front of your computer by chance to look at a screen? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. So like, like Ethereum, um, okay. like just looking at a daily chart, um, I guess I've kind of noticed with myself that I trade better on like a higher time frame. I kind of get lost in the weeds. Um, so just looking at a daily, then maybe trading off the four hour um, is probably where I fit best. So a little different from you, but um, you know, on Ethereum, the 22nd, there's an inside day going into the 23rd. Um, I've kind of noticed this setup and I know you've talked about it. So I want to ask you, is this like a good high probability? So on like the 24th, we break out um, of the 22nd day low, and then we accept back in range. I've kind of noticed where crypto has kind of done this, where it accepts back into the range. Do you just, is it a pretty good, I guess, risk reward to take that trade 
either into mid-range or to range high, which I guess in this case, you actually did hit the uh, the 22nd day high uh, on the 26th. And it kind of did that again back on like January 8th, where, you know, there's an inside day set up. The next day you break below, you come back up, and then you take out the high that was on the 8th. You know, so it's kind of done this, um, you know, a few times both on Ethereum and other things. So I just kind of want to get your thoughts on, you know, is this a good thought process? Is it better to play the range low on the like the 22nd and reeks up back in? Or is it better to like short from the 23rd targeting lows and then getting into a long once we accept back in? Um, so as far as just that setup, I'm looking at it right now. Um, and that was a, a nice, a nice inside day setup and inside day setups just in general for ETH and BTC have been phenomenal for the last year. Um, it, it's sort of like a, it's a candlestick traders break from balance, right? So, it, you know, I, I use things like TPO, I obviously look at market structure on a candlestick chart as well, uh, on the high time frame, but you know, uh, it's really the same sort of situation where you have compression, you're within a prior day's range. And then, you know, if you break, you know, in that case, uh, I think the low was the low to break was uh, 2371 area. Um, and your initial target breaking the low would be the prior day's low that the this is going to sound weird, but the prior day's low before the day that was inside. So it would have been from 20. It would have been from 23.7, an initial target of like 22.95. So with setups like that, for me, it's very black and white, uh, especially coming off of a significant move. So, you know, coming off of a significant move down and having the first inside day setup, I am trying to just take setups like that very mechanically. So, for example, on this is on you're talking about. So the 22nd. Let me just zoom out because I'm looking into the 24th also because there's two inside day setups for ETH in the last couple of weeks. So right. The, there's, yeah, the 8th and then the 22nd are like the main outside, I guess. So, yeah, the 24th was the day that the setup actually took place, though, right? So, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, with setups that are inside day setups, I'm very black and white about positioning. Um, once we start peeling below the low or above that high, I'm just targeting the prior days higher low. Uh, if we accept back within, like you said, and for me, it's it might not necessarily be that I take profit at um, mid range, but I am more often not going to be monitoring the trade because it's usually something that's at least good for like a 50 basis point move. So you accept back within the range um, after the breakdown, and then we end up moving all the way back up. I mean, this is beyond that. I think we moved up like 4%. Um, I don't want to say that you should just expect range high. I think it's reasonable for mechanical setups to have mechanical strict exits, I want to say. Like, so, for example, the mid-range idea wouldn't be bad. Um, chances are that the setup does come to fruition, right? So if you break outside of an inside day, same if you break outside of a multi-day composite, if you re-accept back within it, chances are, you know, that rejection means that price is going to move sideways longer. And then, yeah, the mid-range and the prior day's high just come back into play. And it's kind of like you're just playing these sort of like ping pong opportunities um, because it's a period where price is sort of like tightly, you know, tightly wound. 
Um, you know, an inside day kind of implies that there's a compression of volatility, you know, that price is ranging, at least on the short term, uh, and that, you know, it's it's tight. It's, a, it's, it's its own trigger at that point. Um, so with those setups, I, I just honestly, it's I don't put too much thought into them. I just try to take as many of them as possible because you only get, you know, I think I don't remember the exact numbers, but for BTC, I think like 65 or 70 percent, 75 percent, 65 or 70 percent of inside day setups. Don't quote me on that. It was I had the figure um, not too long ago. Just they absolutely they're they they are they they resolve positively. Um, right. Yeah. Because I'm I mean I'm just trying to figure out you know, where I go wrong or, you know, where I'm most profitable. And I've noticed I'm most profitable when I essentially set a, you know, a buy order somewhere and it hits overnight and I can't watch it, you know, because I'm sleeping and I'll wake up and it's, you know, moved off my target, you know. So otherwise, if I watch it on like the 15 minute or, you know, even the, like the one hour, I'll second guess myself and, cut it for a small profit without letting it kind of run. So that's kind of why I've tried to zoom out and I've noticed these, you know, daily inside setups where I'm like, oh, these might be, you know, where I can take my swing at. So I guess that's kind of good to know that you see similar. Um, do you kind of going off that, do you play off like Monday ranges or like Monday high, Monday low, um, like for Bitcoin, um, you know, it looks like we deviated outside Monday high and we're back within it. Do you ever play those where like a deviation back into the, the Monday ranges? So I've started looking at them more the last year just because now we have like more, you know, regular trading hours. Mm -hmm. um, so now that we're more correlated to, to legacy, I figured it would be worth looking at. And I know some people that have consistently used uh, Monday's range. Um, I just find that like, there are times when I try to introduce sort of like another shot in my bag uh, and it just becomes one extra thing that I'm trying to pay attention to. The system that I'm already using right now, I don't think requires too much tinkering. Um, I end up looking, I end up thinking now that futures open on Sunday is, has been pretty significant uh, for the Monday to follow or for legacy open the following day during the cash session. So, you know, some some people use it. Like I said, I've I've looked at it. Um, I, I didn't feel the need to sort of add it to to my current approach. Uh, I I do see why you know people would be using it now because it is you know first day of the you know, when cash session begins uh, for legacy markets and now that BTC is following more closely to them um, that it might be more significant. But that being said, like Bitcoin doesn't have cash session it has you know even though it follows legacy it's you know it's the new york session that's pretty important um so yeah i haven't found a reason to to really to really add it i've looked at okay. it but that's about it i know some traders so, who have been using it forever so like i said though like there's there's people that use things that i find to have no purpose for myself uh but they've managed to build really robust systems around them so Gotcha. Um, another thing that I think of it, um, do you use like high, uh, high time frame point of controls? So like, let me see, I messaged banks about it on the 20th, actually. And 
um, I was like, hey, um, asking about the same thing about high time frame point of controls. Uh, specifically, I sent him a picture for Ethereum. Uh, there was one around like 3200 area. And then like the next one below that I found was at like 23. And then basically on the 20th that day, um, we went up, we were, I sent him a picture when we were right at the 3200 level um, and we were still below it. And sure enough, we dumped all the way to 23. Uh, do you look at high time frame point of controls at all and kind of look at those as areas where price will gravitate to over time? Uh, so the thing about point of controls for for me is I don't I don't really take positions off of them. I think that they're good areas to they're good areas in terms of liquidity. Um, they're usually good areas to take profit into uh, because they are ripe with liquidity. There's a it just implies there is a ton of activity back there in the past. I see when you look at ETH if you look at ETH on the high time frame going all the way back to <clears throat> into May. Um, we have some significant high volume nodes on the chart, like as you said, right around 32. The next high volume nodes right around <clears throat> 4,000. I'm I'm more so focused on the low volume areas actually. So okay. low volume areas where price didn't spend much time, where activity was really one sided or cut off. Uh, these are usually good entry points. These are usually the good locations for uh, whether you're looking for support or resistance. Um, points of control, usually they're just going to be, they end up being the average of a range, right? So it ends up being like the meaty area, the midpoint of a range. So the way I look at it, and I shared a chart, uh, this week of BTC and I had like a couple low volume nodes highlighted. I try right. to, and this is going to be difficult to describe through audio, but I try to imagine that the, like, if you can imagine a, like a, a sink, you know, how, like a sink has a lip and then it has a dip and then it has a lip and then the right. edge. Right? right. And like the ball can. So, okay. yeah. So Sorry, I imagine. Ahead. So if you were to take like the, the, it's almost like what would be actionable is if you could take a volume profile and in and invert it. So the low volume areas would be sort of like the structure that I would expect to run into and, and to resist price. And the high volume areas would be sort of like the indentations in the sort of topography of whatever structure we're saying is created, that things when falling into would very easily accept back within. It's funny, as I'm describing this, I'm naturally drawing it in the air with my hand. <laughs> um, but, so for me, if we accept, for example, you know, just looking at ETH, the next low volume area that we have that has been significant for the last year, the low volume area in front of us is, is right around 2967. And yep, you can see that it. that, that corresponds with like a little gap down where price broke from the last consolidation. That's, you know, an area of structural resistance. We have the daily level right around, you know, right around 3,000, you know, 30,069 specifically. Um, if we accept above a low volume area back into a high volume node, I expect price to be comfortable ranging back within that area. So I don't, I don't want to think very specifically like, oh, this one part of the high volume node or the point of control is a good level to take a position off of. I just think, okay, we're back in a high volume area. We're going to fall back into range-like behavior. You know, this is an area where there'll be a lot of two-way trade. There was in the past. It'll be plenty of liquidity available. Uh, but more often than not, I'm looking at the low volume areas than points of control. 
with points of control specifically though i i prioritize where we sit in relation to new points of control so a point of control very similar if you're looking at a volume profile uh, is very similar to a VWAP in the sense that it's implying that that's where the most trade occurred, uh, the most was transacted. Um, and if you're trading above it or below it, you know, one side is a lot more comfortable than the other. So, for example, if we look at, you know, a couple days worth of price action and our profiles, each one we're building above the point of control and continuing to advance upward, that's good. You know, things start to look a little shifty. If, you know, let's say we have a couple days of trending price behavior, we have an inside day value that's printed, excuse me, uh, inside value, sort of value overlap that occurs. So let's say we have a trend day and then the next, you know, the following day is a lot more balanced uh, and we're beginning to lose a point of control. It's just beginning to show a shift, right? And mm -hmm. if you start hanging out below where most of the activities come in locally, it's just a indication of, of poor positioning for one side, right? It's not something I want to extend back too far because chances are like all that positioning, if you look at the high time frame at a high time frame point of control, like what are the chances that all the people that have got involved there haven't turned over their positions multiple times, right? Right. So I, for points of control, I use them more locally. Like, okay, we're either holding it, we're losing it, um, but I, I never try to take positions off of the point of control. Also, point of control is usually going to be what? It's going to be dead mid-range or closer with it. It's going to be more centered within value. When we're within value, it's kind of like price is accepted here. What business do I have assuming that we're going to do anything in particular? This is an area where buyers and sellers are in most agreement. I want to look to get involved at extremes where things are likely to be in disagreement or imbalanced. And usually that's going to be away from the point of control as well. So... So essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, like on a daily, like if you're looking at like a small range, um, you know, a couple days, you're looking to get involved far away from the point of control, thinking that you'll re, you'll gravitate back towards that point of control. Yeah, because I mean, if okay. we just broke it down and isolated it into one day, if you are balanced, your point of control is at the center and we gravitate away from it and you see that, you know, buyers are not getting excited, sellers are getting more involved, you know, what is price likely to come back to? come back, uh, what is price likely to do? It's likely to come back down to fair value, right? And the point of control is really just that. It's the most agreed upon fair value price that there is. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so kind of going back to your, your, your like sync analogy and stuff in the inverse, like when you were talking about the 2960 area on ETH, so you're looking at like the low volume areas as areas where it should stop, you know, and then like, above that the next one is kind of roughly around 3670ish yeah is that 36, so you yep. you'd look at those places as areas where it's going to stop pause see where things are going and then either go down or continue up in range in those high volume areas yeah yeah okay so with with so specifically with ETH so if you're looking at it right now the profile is more filled out so if you had like your chart right now anchored to let's just say like May, um, May, 2021, um, the profile is pretty thick, right? So right. the lowest volume node on the profile is 3670 area, 3680 area. I think that's the lowest volume. It might be one that's closer towards the lows around 2000, but locally in terms of what's near us and most relevant, the lowest volume node is 
right around 36.75. The next one after that is right ahead of us at um, like 29.50. So these are actually good areas. It's kind of like a shelf. These are good areas to get involved. Um, for example, to sweep into. So to place limit orders there for very quick responses out, at least initially. So if we're within, for example, let's say that we accept above 29.75, we're back within that you know multi-week composite from the beginning of January before this breakdown. If we're back within there, um, an area to get involved from the short side is usually going to be you know the next low volume node, at least initially. You know price goes to an area where it hadn't transacted before, wasn't accepting of prices before. You probably see that same behavior as we return there. Like price will get rejected um, at least in the short term. There are low volume nodes though, obviously, that are just absolute gaps. Um, so for example, like you know a double distribution. Are you familiar with the double right, distribution? Right. Yep. So where the whole center is, it's a low volume node, but it is a complete carve out. So with things like that, I am focused on the edges of where the um, node, the high high volume nodes drop off. So where it first meets the very skinny low volume area. So it would be normally it'd be like we refer to it as single prints if it was a true area of single prints. So the ledges are where I would focus on for rejections. So either support or resistance. But once you accept into a low volume area, if it's wide and it's a gap, once you accept into it, it's it, there's not going to be much in the way of price covering that area. So it's obviously nuanced, right? If it's a very big mm -hmm. gap and it's a low volume area, I mean, I'm, not, I'm only going to be playing the edge expecting that to act like resistance. Once we flip an edge and we're in the low volume area, then you're probably going to fill that out because that's more or less that's like an inefficiency, right? Price is going to seek fair value and, and you're going to see that buyers and sellers kind of try to find fair value within an area that, again, wasn't previously accepting of prices. So there's obviously a lot of nuance to it. But with each structure right now in the high time frame, there isn't because we've filled out a few times already. You know, we're into a range now essentially for a year. So profiles more developed. There's more like there's just sort of these stalactites of well eh, i'm thinking way too much in terms of structure but there's these you know very sharp areas within it that are low volume areas but it, for the most part the profile is balanced on the high time frame not balanced but i think you understand what i mean right yeah gotcha. so. um i guess the, my, my kind of last topic i guess is just like a daily schedule um you know you talk about like working out um you know family time of course but like how you know like like do you have a set schedule of i work out at like lunchtime these days every week or you know how do you find time to know when to step away and tune off etc uh, yeah i mean that's definitely um that's difficult if you're just again if it, it's difficult in this market period because of 24 24 hours you know seven days a week but there are definitely times when it doesn't make sense. I mean, it, it's not evenly distributed, right? Activity is not evenly distributed. There are certain patterns in microstructure, you know, when the market is more active, when there's more liquidity, less liquidity, when volume is higher, when volume is lower. So I think that you have to like, if, if your goal is to be, you know, if to trade a lot, um, then you want to be in the market when the best opportunities are there. So some, you know, for some people, it sucks because their time zone is, you know, I have, uh, I'm in New York, so I have the New York session, which is a good session to trade. Um, I take break around 1230. 
till 132. Um, and then I'm focused again. Uh, it used to be that the Asian session was horrible. I don't think it's been uh, really a conversation piece the last couple of months. But what you can do to sort of figure out when, because you need some type of, obviously you need some type of structure. Um, what you can do is is look at, there are, you know, websites where you could find out when, you know, volatility is lowest, when it's highest, for example, like GVOL, Genesis Volatility. That has a great um, historical and realized volatility chart. So it shows you every single day of the week, every single hour of the week, and how that has been for the last few years. So you could see, okay, you know, with the use of a heat map, well, why am I trading on, and this will get more specific when you journal, because you'll know, hey, why do I trade on Sundays if I suck at trading on Sundays? But you'll know, okay, there are a few times throughout the week where it makes sense to be trading. And all those times outside of, it doesn't make sense to be there because there's really nothing that's taking place. Um, so you have that. And then when you journal, you'll know, oh, you know, maybe Friday is a good time for uh, from a volume standpoint. But and this is just an extreme example. But, you know, every Friday, I my worst trading occurs. So, you know, at least that's something that you could look into to maybe sharpen or improve on. But for me, I, I wake up the same time every single day. Um, I, it, you know, saying this stuff is like it's a lifelong practice. You know, it sounds sexy to be like, oh, you know, wake up, work out early, eat healthy, do the same thing every day. But it's a constant process, right? Like every day right. having discipline to repeat that. It's very easy to fall off the rails. So I have more recently, again, tried to wake up, not look at my phone right away, which is difficult because that's good for you. But at the same time, if you're a trader, it's like the first thing you want to do is look at the market. But right. I realize that if I, if I, and if I read a book or honestly, my wife and I, um, we've been doing crossword puzzles in the morning, like very easy ones just to do something different besides look at the phone, hop on the computer, you know, do work. If I start the morning off that way, then I'm a lot more even keeled the rest of the day. Then if I start the morning off looking at the market right when I get out of bed, because then I'm suddenly like in a very reactive mode, depending on what the market's doing. You know, as you can imagine, like you're spiking your cortisol levels, your, you know, if you had a heart rate monitor on you, you'd probably see that clearly the market has an effect on you. Um, mm -hmm. So I think loosely, though, how you can integrate it into your own schedule, right, for when you're trading and where you're where you are time zone wise. Um, the same things that are good for anybody, whether they're trading, their pilot or a teacher, uh, you want to have some type of repeatable structure. You want to make sure that you get exercise at least once a day. Um, completely changes my mood if I don't. And like I'm always, it's always like I get, and more so recently because when I was younger, I was like the kind of person that never missed a gym day, went like twice a day sometimes. But now, like where I am in my life now, it'll be like three days and I'll think like, why am I sort of like in a funk? I'm like, oh, I didn't go to the gym the last, you know, two days, right? That's like the one thing that stands out. And then if I don't have that physical output, it's like it's resonating in other areas of my life. Um, but building a schedule, right? How that, it, you know, how that works for you, just the idea of repeating something and, and getting it into a routine makes trading. Also, it makes it, I think, more of a job, which I think is important because you do have to have like a purpose when you arrive to your computer. 
You know what I'm saying? Right. Yep. Rather than like, oh, I'm just going to arrive to the computer and market looks good now. Let me click and then walk away. Like you have to have things structured around trading and, and treat it like you know, best. One of the best pieces of advice that you see repeated is treat it like a business. Right. Treat it like a business. Um, so treat, you know, treat it like a job in that sense, too. Awesome. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate you doing this. And um, you shared a a tweet yesterday in response to someone about, let me see here, uh, market profile, uh, marketcalls.com or whatever it is. Um, I was reading through that and I just wanted to say thank you. And, you know, that's, I definitely think something that a lot of your followers are interested in because that's kind of what you focus on. So, um, you know, keep posting stuff like that because it's definitely a great resource. So just want to say thank you on that. Thank you, man. Thanks, Ethan. I will. Yeah. And I definitely, uh, I want to start, it's like, it's weird having a, a large following. Trust me. It's a very unnatural thing. <laughs> someone had a big following. Um, so I feel like I want to get back into a more structured approach to even Twitter, which sounds ridiculous because some people take it way too seriously. And at the end of the day, it's like, it's a website. Like, right. Right. It's very distracting, but, um, I do want to get back to posting more uh, substance and things that are relevant to helping people out who constantly ask, like, oh, what's a Tetris thing you're posting? <laughs> so. <laughs> Since nobody else is on, um, I know you pretty much only trade like, you know, market profile order flow. Do you ever look at candlesticks and just be like, oh, there's an evening star or shooting star or anything like that and be like, oh, let me just take this or are you just like, Oh, this is what it looks like in the order flow. And I'm going to, you know, yeah. So that's, you know, I absolutely, I would be lying if I said I didn't, um, I just add more substance to it. So, you know, if you have, and, and with candlesticks, it's a matter of extremes, right? If the candle is a huge candle, that's one-sided from open to close and either direction that's occurring, it's probably not something you want to fade in the short term. Right. So, you know, multi-sigma move with a, you know, five to 10% green candle. That's a good candle to focus on, right? Um, a candle that is like a, a doge, a, um, what's it called? Like the inverse hammer uh, mm -hmm. or hammer candle at the low, you know, at a significant low, at a major contextual level, if that candle's a daily, that's telling you that this, you know, it was a two-sided battle at first, but depending on which direction it closed, like one side completely gained control. So that is a good story about what took place, but it's not really a lot. You know, it's not enough anymore, I don't think, because one, a candle closes like it's not arbitrary, but it is right. It's like that candle could have closed right then. And then, you know, a matter of a second later, uh, prices shifted. And the only reason why it closed like that was because, you know, the book evaporated and price jumped. It gapped up. Um, I need, you know. I think that candles are, they are strengthened when you look at the underlying order flow. So if you look at a, you know, for example, you look at a hammer candle at a low, it's at a significant weekly level, you know, and then you look at something like a footprint or a volume distribution in that candle and you see that there's a ton of, you know, large sell orders that are opened up at the low and you see that open interest had stayed even or gone up to even make that even stronger. And now, you know, all right, so not only do we have this kind of candle, but most of the volume is actually below where we, you know, below where we um, closed. So this looks like a really good trap. Um, 
And then you can see even candles that they might look strong, for example, a big green candle that's one-sided, right, no wick. And if you look at it on the low, you know, if you look at it uh, at sort of an atomized level, if you look at it with a footprint candle, you see that there was really nothing that took place in it. So it works both ways. Um, I don't just look at, no, I, I don't just look at that and say like, this is a reason to long or short, but it definitely, the one they have when you have extreme candles. So really it's just a few, it's like inverse hammer or just hammer at the lows and then a big green or big round candle. Um, those definitely strengthen arg an argument when they're attached to other things, but on their own, you know, all the variations you know, the spinning top or what, I don't know any of those, honestly. Like I know, mm -hmm. I know what I see, but I don't know like the, it's like there's a book called, am I, I forgot what book it is, but it's like TA 101 stuff. The market is becoming like a little bit more sophisticated than, you know, the, the market is becoming more sophisticated. It's not just uh, a TA driven market. What I will say though, is that if it's a high time from candle, what you have working for you, if you are looking at them is, that everyone else is too. So if you, and again, it's context matters more than anything. If you have, let's say you return back to a weekly level, a weekly low, and then the weekly candle that returns back there takes the low, closes as a hammer candle. Well, then everybody who's looking at the chart, the highest time frame, you know, one of the highest time frame charts sees that and they're all sort of telling themselves the same story. You know, this means that it's a low. And then you can see how that, you know, become self right, right, right. So, so I guess like when the FOMC, like the Fed, was talk, like you know, talking um, on the twenty sixth. I know you tweeted about how that candle was going to basically fall in on itself. Other than you know, I've kind of I follow Adam Mancini. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him or not, um, but he's kind of preaches you know whatever way you know, the ES futures trade basically faded, it. it's going to go the other way, you know, the like the Fed FOMC announcements, usually like a fake out the first half hour or so. Totally. Um, yeah. Which kind of basically happened there. But I guess, was there certain things that you were seeing in the candle that you were like, this is going to basically implode on itself? I mean, it was kind of a given once it was a swing failure, and it came back within like that day's high um as like an easy short but like prior to that i think you were calling it when it was still you know way up there type thing yeah so i mean uh yeah i know who adam mancini is he's a he trades at es um i'm pretty sure he trades at es right mm -hmm. uh yeah. the the rule about like the first 30 minutes after an fomc yeah that's more often than not that's going to be the case that it's a fade um the market will position in advance, jump to conclusions right after. Uh, and, and again, sort of like nine times out of 10, you're going to see that that what happens in the few minutes after is false, right? Um, the market will fade that. Uh, that on its own is not you know, necessarily just the reason why I got involved because I've fallen victim to jumping, you know, at the bit too early myself. Um, what I will say is that in that particular case, you could look at a footprint, you could look at the tape. Uh, there was a ton of activity, a huge pickup in volume. And once we started, once we started pressing up and began to slow down, it was 
I mean, it might have been a coin flip, but I was just like, this is if this slows down even slightly for all of the volume that we just saw, it came in at the high. Once you just have to start thinking about like how you behave when you chase something and it starts going against you and you think like, ah, fuck, like I just right. chased it yeah. and you dump it right away. So if you see 50 million contracts do that at the top of the candle, once you start trading below that, there's just a chance that those people are going to reevaluate their positions, right? And mm -hmm. that might mean a short-term shakeout. That might mean something that's lasting. But chances are when you see that, and it's, again, the first few minutes after an FOMC, the, you put those two into, you know, put those two together and you have a, you have a really strong setup, um, at least for a, a short-term trade. Uh, usually it's the case that unless it's breaking news, like major catalyst, most things are, are you're going to fade them after the open. So the first half hour, market's going to sort itself out. Um, after that, market chooses direction. It's usually a bit more reliable. But most most things, so FOMC, non-farm payroll, um, any kind of macro-related um, event that we're responding to now, most of them are going to be fade-worthy. Uh, the only things that I would say, like, what I'm trying to define is, like, what would you get behind immediately, even if you arrive to it, like, five minutes late? Like, let's say that the central, you know, central banks, the Fed, let's say the Fed said, we're going to add, uh, every month, we're going to add some Bitcoin in our balance sheet. That's something where you're like, uh, I'm just, I mean, me personally, uh, I'm just market longing everything on 2x leverage, and I'm going to walk <laughs> away for, I'm walking away for a week. Because there's going to be a right. lot of nuttiness that happens, but this is a catalyst that is likely going to, you know, it's going to have legs. Um, uh, that or like, let's say there was like a natural disaster or something that was major. Um, you, outside of that, most of the time the market is pricing in a certain decision either way. It's a it's a battle. One side gains control in the short term and then it rolls over on itself, whether it means that price spikes up, folds, or you know, sells and then completely recovers and ends up up five, 10% for the day. So it's a good rule to follow in the first half hour. Like if you're not a good news trader, it's not something to start practicing on with full size. Um, but if, you know, if, if it's not your, if it's not your cup of tea, uh, half hour after is usually when you can start taking things seriously. Gotcha. Do you, do you trade naked point of control? Like, um, at all like yeah so i look at I, I i can so i don't again i don't take i it's not like i so anytime you say anything after trading for a really long time it's always like i try not to you can't ever say at some point like i don't do this because i have probably done it a handful of times i try mm -hmm. not to take positions from the point of control i try to close out positions into a point of control um i try to you know at most maybe at most conservative i might say um, okay, maybe the point of control, the naked point of control that we're coming into uh, is an area to start managing a position, maybe take just a little off. But yeah, I absolutely consider that if you say trade them, I consider that if they're recent uh, and we're coming back to them, that they're probably going to be an area where price finds um, a little bit of congestion or stickiness. Okay. So like, do you, are you, I've kind of read like, price gravitates and covers like the previous day or two days, like the point of control. Um, so like on the 20, just kind of looking at Bitcoin 
uh, on the 27th, it was around 36, 250. The next day we basically came down, tapped it and went away. Um, but if you go back to the 24th, there's one around 33, 700 almost, which is still untested. Would you, obviously it doesn't have to get tested, but if we start breaking down, would you be like, oh, there's a sticky point that people are going to get involved and we'll probably hit it? So, I mean, I know that's probably not the best any, question. No, but, no, it's, but, it's good because at any point, like you're trying to add up multiple things to make a base case or some kind of thesis to get involved. Uh, and with the naked point of control going all the way back to the 24th, if anything, I might think that, for example, originally would have thought that the 35.5 lows from like the 20, 27th to 28th might be a good area to see run. Um, so if we were to drop down from here, what lows might we go to or go all the way to before seeing, a, you know, maybe a significant snapback? I think that 35.5 area is reasonable. So being that we have a naked point of control nearby, maybe if anything, I would keep my orders between those lows and that naked point of control. And I, would, I wouldn't I would invalidate the trade unless we lost that naked point of control. Because it, I mean, okay. it's, close, it's close enough to make like a pretty dense area from a... Um, uh, like uh, the standpoint of, you know, why we might get involved there, you know, why I might get involved there. Um, so if anything, it's a little bit thicker and I would maybe have orders scattered down there and then and then consider, all right, maybe we don't just take the low and, and this point of control is, is the last ditch area that I would expect price to bounce from. Um, the point of control that is on the 28th, uh, we came back down and retested the 27th. That's just a good sign. Right. It's like price came back down to mid range of the prior day after breaking outside, held the point of control. Again, it's a sign of progress or a sign of strength if, if the bulls are able to continuously hold points of control and continue to see price cover above the point of control. If you were to lose the point of control, it just makes more of a case for all right now. You're putting a lot of people off sides. So. Gotcha. So, I guess. So I guess this could go down to any time frame, but like. um you know, talking about the 27th, 28th, when it comes into a level, are you getting involved right away or are you waiting for it to start pushing away? And I guess at what point have you determined it's pushing away versus just sitting, you know, just sitting there? I mean, it all depends. Like the profile, market structure from just a candlestick standpoint, all I'm doing when I'm looking at these is getting a bit of context and seeing areas where I might want to get involved. It all comes down to that specific time. Like, unless it's an extreme low or an extreme high, I'm rarely just like leaving orders at an area to get involved. So in a, in a case like that, I'd say, all right, this is, I mean, I probably wouldn't even have looked at that as, you know, after losing the value area high, it's like 36.6, maybe I'd say, oh, okay, maybe we'll tap the point of control. But in the case of just in general, having an area to look to in advance, um, probably just, going to be observing the order flow and the low time frames around that area um i can't say like oh with certainty i, I would get involved here no matter what or you know not get right. involved. okay it, it would all depend on what's actually taking place at that level gotcha gotcha there's actually a good quote and i shared it twice now um linda rashke you know profile is for where i want to get involved and order flow is for when i want to when i want to get involved so 
really what you're doing with profile is you're just gaining some context, you know, seeing how the market is being distributed, right? Whether we're balanced, whether we're imbalanced, seeing some areas where fair value is being established. Um, and it's not much more than that. I mean, it's, it's a good data organization tool, uh, but it's for me, it's never like, oh, now I have, you know, based on a day's structure, I have uh, value area low where I would get long, value area high where I'd get short absolutely. And then, you know, you could add a few other details on there as well. You know, poor highs, poor lows, all absolutely short, absolutely buy. It's never that. It's always, this is an area where stands out, could be an opportunity. We'll sort of zoom in when we get there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, if there's anybody on the call that wants to jump in, by all means, I don't want to act like I'm hogging, but I also don't want to just leave you hanging. Um, That's all good. I think we're but, going on like two hours now. So. Yeah. Um, I, just, I was actually watching a, an interview from 2018. That was Real Vision this past weekend. And it was with uh, Drucken Miller, and he was talking over his like 2000 trade when he was performing bad and went away for like four months, he said. Um, and then he all of a sudden said something that kind of like perked my ears up. Um, but he was kind of just saying that, you know, um, the NASDAQ rallied almost to its, so the NASDAQ fell and then it almost rallied to its high. He noticed that oil was up, the dollar was up, and then interest rates were going up and the Fed was like starting to be hawkish. Um, and he's like, this combo, he's like, well, historically and he said that this combo was always negative for earnings uh in the u.s economy and so he spoke to like his you know business friends and they said that business was bad um and so he said he started buying like treasuries like the twos and fives um you know and then he said like oh the you know alan greenspan kept coming out and he's being hawkish we're going to raise rates this and that and they were raising rates and so he just kept buying more and more and I guess it, my ears just perked up when all this happened because all I hear about is, you know, NASDAQ fell, potentially we're rallying, who knows. Oil is projected, you know, people are calling for $100 oil, who knows, but the dollar's going up and then interest rates, the Fed's talking about hiking. And I was just like, is this, you know, Drucken Miller trade 2.0 type <laughs> thing? So I guess not really anything to, I guess, probably discuss, but just something that kind of piqued my interest of like, you know, this is the same recipe that he talked about. And that the net, he said that typically with that cocktail of, you know, dollar interest rates and oil, like S&P earnings have always been down on average 25% the next year or within a year. So um, yeah, kind of curious that I, my ears just kind of perked up. It was a 2018 interview, but I was just Something that I found interesting, I guess. So yeah, I uh, I love Druck actually, and if anything, it makes me want to scour the internet to see if he's had any interviews in the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, because no, you know, knowing that he's it's, it's been similar situation structurally, obviously slightly different context uh, is is intriguing. I, I've always Druck is like one of my favorite traders of all time. Um, it's it's cool because he was a he's very technically grounded. Uh, so he's one of the traders who, who is a chart guy. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, that's not everything, but like down to its base form, you know, he he makes a good point that the chart tells you a pretty significant story uh, about how the underlying is performing. He mentioned like not too long ago how he used to be more of a price action guy too, 
um, not like price action on the one minute time frame, but seeing whether or not something was bid or strong, uh, how algos have kind of come in and warped that. So people talk about price action a lot. It's a very popular topic, but it's actually going to become less useful in crypto um, because you have algo activity of people like Citadel, Jane Street, Jump, uh, market making firms that are just making low time frames so noisy, noisy. So when people say that something looks Price action looks strong. They probably just mean price is moving up, you know, and it's uh-huh. <laughs> it's not like right. it's not like you could see the same patterns of like rhythm that used to occur in markets before all of like the um, systemization and algo activity came in, and HFTs came in. But I would be interested in, in yeah, I mean, I, now I'm going to have to see if he's written anything, if he's said anything, if he's been interviewed, uh, because that's an interesting point. I mean, the I think historically the dollar hasn't actually I can't I can't even continue the sentence because I, I I definitely don't have enough uh background on it. I was I was reading someone's post this morning and that's what I was gonna try to to I guess paraphrase them. David Bell, who's constantly on top of the macro, are you familiar with him? I just started following him within the last week, I think. So Yeah, he was talking about interest rates in the dollar and and uh it's a lot. I mean, it's it's all over now. The it's so this off the to, not off topic, but just kind of random. It's funny now because it you have to think that markets were never more aware of themselves than they are now. So I wonder how much that plays in to just positioning and overall activity and expectations because social media has drastically changed markets. Right, Twitter has changed markets to a certain degree. It's like you get your news before you find it on the actual quote unquote news outlets. Right. Um, So for example, like never has there been a time where more people have been talking about interest rates and been more aware of interest rates and, you know, what the Fed is doing. Never has there been a time where retail has been as aware. So I always think about these things. Like, I wonder how this is actually changing the landscape um, and how we should frame things differently than maybe we would have in the past, because now everyone is aware and, you know, awareness leads to positioning. So, yeah, as, I mean, this this is all this is all the talk is about recently is interest rates and the Fed. So it's hard not to. To think about, but, yeah, I want to look into whether or not Druck has said anything, because that would be interesting to, to get his thoughts on um, just markets recently. Yeah, he did talk about like the algos um, and how they've pretty much distorted things the past like 10 years. Um, I think another factor that I'm sure you're aware of is just like, you know, 401k flows and retirement flows in general um, and how that basically just keeps the market going up and up and up. Um, But I'm curious to see what happens with, you know, the overall market once we have the baby boomer generation hit like peak retirement age and those flows start coming out. Um, I'm, I mean, I'll still be in crypto. I think that's going to be a new frontier, you know, is, but um, I guess, do you trade or like, I don't know if you have like a 401k or whatever. No, traditional not, outside of crypto. Not actively anymore. Um, that's all I used to do, not actively anymore, just passive. And it's funny because what you're just saying is is true. Like the passive investing revolution has changed markets um, tremendously. I mean, 
all the ETFs, all the ways that you could just get into a basket of stocks. Um, those flows have have had drastic impacts on the market. So absent them, I mean, one can imagine what uh, what things would look like. But yeah, I don't have any kind of a day-to-day activity in legacy. I actually was just um, like the last month uh, starting to open up a, another prime brokerage for just trade. Not so like yeah, prime brokerages like Schwab, and I have my um, you know my equity portfolio, but prime brokerage just for the sake of direct market access to trading futures because I'm I I want to start trading the ES actively again. But no, as far as right now, like super passive uh, legacy, no real interest in in trading it actively, um, just very indexed exposure, you know, like most people, uh, most of do my you, activity. Are you, I guess, so So you do have like traditional <laughs> exposure though, like. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So are you going to change how you're positioning things? Because like, I guess how I like how I see things, um, you know, I see younger generations just like passive invest, you know, every two weeks they put in their paycheck and that's what's pushing the market up. But then I'm going to see the baby boomers start to remove. Um, so I, I think at best they offset one another. At, you know, yeah. At best. I would, I would, that's a good guess. But I guess are you going to position yourself in any way, shape, or form? Because I see the the U.S. stock market as just kind of having a dull, you know, decade or two where, you know, we have a high watermark and we just kind of float around or lower and we don't exceed it for, you know, a decade or two. Kind of like, I wouldn't say 1929 style, but, it, you know, it took like two, like 25 years before we hit a new all-time high again. So I guess, are you going to shift from like, um, you know, U.S. based to potentially like emerging markets at all? Or uh, I mean, I haven't or are you gonna be... a ton of thought into it. I, I think that and it's like one of my theses behind um, crypto is that, uh, you know, when baby boomers retire and when we see those flows um, come out of equities, I think a portion of them go into crypto just because millennials and the younger generations are, they're more crypto oriented. Um, And I think that the same thing can be said for how the normal gold portfolio or how the normal gold, uh, excuse me, like for example, in baby boomer portfolio, you know, my, my dad goes to my mom and dad go to their financial analysts uh, or, you know, I can't even think of who they go to now to whoever manages my dad's money. (laughs) <laughs> his retirement account <laughs> it's just like oh you're in, you're in a little bit of this sector you know you're exposed to the index and then you have gold um i think that that gold loses most i think what loses more market share is gold than equities to crypto uh but that's kind of like my one of the reasons that i have such a positive long-term outlook on crypto is because of that it's just the youth inherit the earth and well you know it's like the old science progresses one, you know, new science progresses one funeral at a time, right? So all the people that are against crypto, they kind of all have something in common. Like they're fucking old, (laughs) Um, (laughs) right? you know? So once those barriers are out of the way, it's a different story, but uh, I haven't put too much thought into making adjustments. Um, I think, uh, 
something that obviously I should put more thought into, but I, I definitely haven't made a, a robust plan. Gotcha. I guess the, I guess the reason I kind of bring this whole topic up is just because like, you know, my parents are basically at that age where they're going to retire in the next, you know, year to three years. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying we're ha- going to have a market crash or anything like that, but the last thing I would want is for them to be, you know, ill positioned and, you know, this Stanley Druckenmiller interview has got my mind thinking about it all over again, where, you know, maybe they need to, you know, reposition and buy more bonds, even though they're low and the Fed's hawkish. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, not for nothing. It's uh, it's a really weird time right now because the Fed also can't do too much. Right. I mean, the Fed is like the largest customer. So we can't raise rates past a certain point. It's kind of like we're we're backed up into this position where the circus has to kind of continue. I can't, I mean, I, I don't really have a negative outlook on markets for the next um, decade. Uh, I don't know. I think that they're just warped, honestly. Um, markets okay. and the economy, they're not necessarily connected. You know, we've seen many instances where the, you know, the market does not reflect the economy at all. Um, and that's why, you know, part of the reason why the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, but yeah, I don't know. I don't have like, uh, like any kind of serious thesis on, on legacy. Um, I guess that's, you know, negative too, because most of my bandwidth is dedicated to, to crypto, but I, it's like the fed, like I said, the fed can't really do too much besides backstop when -hmm. things get bad, um, and then try to tame things when they're overheated, but they can't tame it too much because at some point like not going to be able to repay their debt so it's a weird pickle i mean this is definitely uh an experiment that is i can't imagine it lasting forever this way but i i, I don't know i don't want to call the top on it yet <laughs> it's, been, oh, it's yeah. been happening for a long time you know so right but um i'm gonna probably probably gonna wrap it up it's, yeah for uh, sure we're like two hours in i appreciate you um taking the time though man it's been good, yeah, no, good conversation. If anyone wants to hop on for the next uh, five, ten minutes, um, I would be open to continuing. There's no structure for these, so you know, it's I, if we take two hours, that's fine. Um, whether you want to talk for five minutes, half hour, it doesn't really matter to me. Obviously, at some point, I get to get myself off of this thing. <laughs> but if no one wants to hop on, then I'll probably just call it an evening. Give you guys a minute. And like I said, if if anyone was late uh, and wants to listen in, this will be posted and I'll share it on my Twitter. Um, I'll publish it after and it'll be posted and all the other ones are accessible as well. All right. I think that does it. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, so I'll do another one of these on Friday. So we'll do the weekly wrap up on Friday. Uh, I'll post a link for that on Thursday, probably the same time. So probably 2 PM Eastern standard time. Uh, until then have a good week and, uh, don't give any back to the market. I expect to chop around some more. So take care guys.